the most famous places in the Bible that illustrates what's it mean for God to love humanity and us to respond in faith and humility before God. I think Luke chapter 15 is one of those passages. It's one of those places where you think, well, man, what's, if I'm talking to a young person or an adult about what does it mean to have a relationship with God, this is one of the first places I'll usually turn. And so we, uh, I want to read a passage for you today because I think the beauty of Luke 15 is found in how it illustrates the beauty of the grace that God shows us. Uh, it's the value that God places upon us as people. That people are oftentimes that are very broken, disrespectful, disobedient to God, but also the joy that God has as he looks at us and he thinks about us. And so let me read for you um, this text. Um, this is from a little different uh, translation, so I, I, I just I printed it off for instead of read it, but if you've got your Bible, it won't be on the screen, but just listen closely. You know this story probably if you've hung around the church for a while. It says this from Luke 5, chapter 15, verse 11. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, give me now the part of your property that I'm supposed to receive someday. And so the father divided his property between the two sons. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he left. And he traveled far away to another country, and there he wasted his money, living like a fool. After he had spent everything he had, behold, there was a terrible famine throughout the country. He was hungry, and he needed money. So he went, and he got a job with one of the people who lived there, and the man sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He was so hungry that he wanted to eat the food the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And then the son realized that he had been very foolish. And he thought, all my father's hired workers have plenty of food, and here I am almost dead because I have nothing to eat. I will leave and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against God, and I have done wrong to you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but let me be like one of your hired workers. And so he left and he went to his father. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him coming and he felt sorry, he had compassion for him. And so he ran to him and he hugged him and he kissed him. Then the son said, Father, I have sinned against God and have done wrong to you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, hurry, bring the best clothes and put them on him and also put a ring on his finger and good sandals on his feet and bring the best calf and kill it so that we can celebrate with plenty to eat. My son was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost, but now he is found. And so they began to have a party or so they began to celebrate. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? And that encourages us. If you've ever felt far from God and you thought, man, what does God think of me? That's a beautiful story. And so we read that. And last night with our Jesus prom, we, we shared that passage as our devotion. It was a beautiful night. I'm thankful for it. As I go to bed after five times of doing Jesus prom, as I lay my head down um, later in the evening because I'm trying to steal everybody's Facebook pictures to, to make a video for you. And so late in the evening as I finally lay my head down on the pillow, uh, I'm thankful for the evening. When all the accounting was done, I think we had like 171 promers come, which is the most we've ever had. We had 
274 volunteers show up, which is an awesome thing. And so this was a hopping, hopping and happening place last night. And so we summarized, though, as, as we shared that story last night in our devotion, three phrases that that story, why it's such good news and why we do Jesus prom. That life is hard. You can read that story. Live your own life. Life is hard. But Jesus is so good. That's the whole story that, man, we make a mess of life. Life is a mess. Life is complicated. Life is hard. But there's this Jesus who is so good to us. And so we celebrate. That passage ends with a party. It ends with a celebration. It ends with this, this happy place. And there's this party that's going. And so before we move on, I just want to show you some pictures of the celebration that we had last night. Celebrating God's goodness, celebrating the love, not only that he has for us, but that, that he wants us to have for one another. And so uh, take a look at this. Um, walk back through uh, memory of, of last night, please. It's always a fun night. And so when I lay my head on my pillow, I'm thankful. And, uh, and I, again, I think Luke 15 is the heart behind why we do that. It's just the God who is so good. And, and so we celebrate that. And that overflows into the way that we love and care about other people. And so we um, are thankful for the joy that the promers uh, share with us as each one of them comes. And I'm thankful for people that many from here and many from just our community that we get to partner with that, that serve and show up and love so well. I'm thankful for the giftings of so many different people that, who do things that uh, um, I would never think to do and, and never be able to do. And, and so that makes something cool come about. And so Luke 15, in many ways, illustrates the beauty of the gospel in so many ways. It's worth celebrating because uh, through our faith in Christ. And so I, I want to use that, though, to transition to this today, because back to First Thessalonians, where we've been and will be for the next few weeks um, I think it really illustrates for us, though, the beauty of the gospel and that our, with our relationship with God, right? We love that part, and, and, and we oftentimes stop right where I stopped, that the prodigal son comes home, there's a beautiful story, there's this reunion, there's this party, there's this celebration, and everything is really cool. But if you keep reading Luke 15, um, it gets complicated to follow that, because there's not just a father and a son, there are two brothers, and while the heart is warmed by the, oh, God loves me this much and he welcomes me home with a hug and a kiss and, and with uh, the chance to be a son or a daughter uh, through faith, um, the text continues and it talks about sometimes that when we become children of God, we are also put in a spiritual family. And the sibling part of the story is where you begin to lose the warm feeling, oh, oh, God is so good and it's so wonderful to be a Christian and to know God, to know Father, to know the Father through grace. And, um, but all of a sudden, there's a pesky brother who kind of begins to take the steam out of the fun. And all of a sudden, it's, it's more frustrating and it's hard because there's a brother and so Luke 15, uh, beginning in verse 25 and following, um, if I can find the right note, says this. There it is. The older son had been out in the field. So the younger son's away squandering the father's wealth, having a good time, the older brother thinks. The older son is faithfully at home, out working, doing his job, being a good son. The older son had been out in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard the sound of music and dancing. And so he called one of the servant boys and asked, what does all this mean? The boy said, well, your brother has come back, and your father killed the best calf to eat. 
He's happy because his son, he has his son back safe and sound. And the older son wasn't filled with happiness, wasn't filled with joy. The Bible said the older son was angry and he wouldn't go into the party. And so his father went out and he begged him to come in. But he said to his father, look, for all these years I have worked like a slave for you. I've always done what you told me to do. You never even given me a young goat to party with my friends. The pity party rages. But then the son of yours comes home after wasting your money on prostitutes and you kill the best calf for him. But his father said to him, oh, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is, is yours. But this day was a day to be happy and to celebrate because your brother was dead and is now alive. He was lost, but now he has found. And so the second part of the story brings in the tension that all of us, if you're a Christian, you, you've probably experienced this, the joy of, oh, I love God and God is so good to me. But these siblings, not so sure about them. There's some real jerks in the family of God, right? There's some annoying people and they don't always think the way that I think and they don't do what I think they should do all the time and sometimes they don't act very nice and, and I just don't know about this whole sibling thing that, that, that kind of comes with the package. Okay, I'm, I'm in the family of God now and, but there's all these spiritual siblings we're going to call them today that, that kind of make it less fun. Can I say that? Is that okay to say that? that? Sometimes the people around you make the experience less fun. Is that, I think that's been true sometimes for me. Um, and, and so that's, and I'm sure people have looked at me and said the same thing, so I'm not throwing any stones in a glass house here. Um, we disappoint each other. We are not always the best to each other and for each other. We don't always live in the same grace that the Heavenly Father lives with us, live towards us with. And so we feel the tension in this story. Uh, a father who was excited for his youngest to be home because he thought he'd lost him forever, but he comes home and yet he's got an older son that just isn't getting into the party, doesn't get it, doesn't like it, won't even participate. And so the father's heart breaks. And so that leads us back to 1 Thessalonians. So if you've got a Bible, flip back over, look back a few books uh, past Luke uh, to the book of 1 Thessalonians. When we left Paul last week in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, he was talking very much about the first part of that, that Paul had, a, had some reasons that he had to kind of give a defense and remind the Thessalonian Christians of how he administered to them. And he uses the illustration, kind of like the prodigal son, I loved you like a father, like a mother would love his or her child. Uh, I, I, there was gentleness, there was compassion, there was hard work, there was diligence, there was this firm commitment to say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push you and nudge you and lead you to, to where God wants you to be. So he invites him to, to be a part of this, this journey. Um, but while the prodigal son, the end of that story, gives us maybe the downside that sometimes the family of God can be a frustrating place, I want you to read this passage with me today, and I want you to see the good that comes from spiritual siblings. I want you to see the why behind God saying, you know what, you're not just a million or a billion, or two billion isolated individual Christians living out your individual faith with me with no interaction with other people. 
this passage, I think, gets to the heart of, well, what's, why does there need to be spiritual siblings? Can I just be a single parent or single child Christian? I don't need all these siblings, right? And, and, and I've got multiple kids, five of them in my family. And the oldest thinks he's, there's parents, him, and then the four other kids, right? It just messes up the whole thing. It's just not pleasant anymore. And so, um, and so what do we do with that? How, why does God do that? Well, I think we're going to read a long passage here, um, beginning in chapter 2, verse 13, and we're going to read all the way through chapter 3, th- chapter three verse 13. And as we do so, it's, there's not a lot of deep theological things here. Paul is simply writing, if you've been with us, you remember that Paul started this church in Thessalonica. He'd been there for a month or two months. And then some of those who did not like the gospel he was teaching about Jesus, they prompted some of the bad dudes in town to start a riot. And so these rioters threatened Paul and Timothy and Silas. And so they had to flee town quick, flee town quickly leave town quickly, they had to flee town, leave town quickly, and go to the next town. And that left this group of new Christians alone. And so Paul now has gone to Berea. Uh, the, the same rioters followed him there and chased him to the next town. And he's probably in Corinth, uh, a little town in, in Greece by now. And, and he's, he's physically removed, but spiritually and relationally, he cares deeply. And so if, you have, if you've ever had a family member or someone that you deeply love who's been, you've had to been separated for whatever reason, um, you know that heartache. It's like, how, how are they doing? I want to know how they are. And, and especially if you can't communicate with them quickly, like as in Paul's day. Um, so Paul goes through in this section and he says, this is what I'm thinking of you. Although I've physically been removed, I have not forgotten you. I have not stopped loving you. I have not stopped caring about you. I have not stopped praying for you. I have not stopped wanting for you to continue to grow in this new faith that you have. And so we're going to read through this text. And so last week we kind of finished with this little phrase, um, I think in, we did, that we don't need spiritual heroes as much as we need spiritual moms and dads, that Paul kind of nails down on that as a leader. He was a parent to them, very parental in his role with them. But today, I'm going to add to that that we probably need some spiritual brothers and sisters too. As much as sometimes we don't enjoy that, we need some spiritual brothers and sisters to flush this whole faith thing out and why that is valuable and what God does in our life when we surround ourselves with spiritual siblings. And so Paul goes on and says this. Again, we're going to read a lot here today. The text speaks for itself, so I'm not going to probably expound a lot. I probably will expound more than I should, but I'll, we're going to talk still long enough to keep you here long enough. But, uh, um, but I, I just want you to listen to Paul's heart for them and what he says, because there are three things, at least, probably more, but three things I want to highlight for you that, that just remind us that this is... Um, this is why God puts spiritual siblings in our life and what it should be doing in our life. It says this, beginning in chapter 2, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God, which is at work in you believers. 
And so, again, read that sentence uh, again, maybe on the screen there or in your Bible, and just remember the context. Paul is spiritually removed, but he's reminding them, when, you, when we came and we began to talk about Jesus and the, the prophecies he fulfilled and the person that he was and, and the sacrifice he made and the resurrection that he brought about, we began to share this with you. You didn't just listen to this as if it was just another piece of gossip around town. The way you responded to us was if these are weighty words. These words are true. These words mean something. And, and they did that. They responded as if, if God himself was speaking to you, they responded, well, I would listen, I would obey, I would, I would change my life for that. And so they did that. And so he commends them for that. He encourages them for that. But then he reminds them of one specific thing that they did that illustrates that, that, that not only was it worth um, responding to because it promised good things in the future, but he says, you know what, you responded as if this was the word of God because when those riots broke out, when it got really hard to be a Christian all of a sudden in Thessalonica, you didn't quit. You have put so much weight on this message of who Jesus was that, that when it got hard, when people began to threaten you, when they ran your spiritual leaders out of town, you didn't give up. You continued, and listen to what he says. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. And how did they, Im how did, how did they imitate that? What was it specifically? Listen to the next verse that he says in verse 15. He says, for you suffered. So what's the example they follow? The example of suffering, of being willing to suffer for Jesus. You suffered the same thing from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. So you can go back and read the book of Acts and find out very quickly that the church explodes in Jerusalem and it's becoming this, this huge thing until persecution breaks out, um, that people don't like this whole Jesus thing and they just try to get rid of it and get rid of his followers. And, and so the, the church very much becomes like, if you were to throw water on a grease fire, what's it do? It, just, it doesn't put the fire out, it just scatters it everywhere. And, and persecution begins to scatter the church all over, not just Jerusalem, but in the surrounding regions and it just continues to push it to new places. And because as people went to new places, they didn't leave Jesus behind, they took Jesus with them. They started new churches, wherever, whatever town they safely landed in. So you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. So Paul says, you know what, we've suffered and now you're suffering and, and this is all part of this example. This whole following Jesus thing is never gonna be easy. And then he gets into some words that through history people have kind of taken and, and done some pretty mean and terrible things with but they were never Paul's intentions he says this, and those who drove us out displease God and they oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. And just a note here before we move on to the next thing here. I just want you to realize that throughout history, Christian people have sometimes taken words like that and justified genocide of Jewish people, persecution of Jewish people, um, and great harm has been done for the name of Christ because Christian people have taken words like that and said, well, those Jewish people were so bad and so terrible, they should be persecuted and hurt because they did this to Jesus and the church. Um, and that is never Paul's intention. While Paul does say that they are opposing God's work, they're not responding to it. In fact, they're, they're persecuting us and trying to shut down this whole testimony of Jesus thing. Paul is not speaking from a heart that is delighting in that. Paul is not rejoicing the fact that God, that they, because of their refusal to respond and listen to the message of Jesus, that he's not over here clapping, yay, I'm glad they're going to face God's wrath and judgments. If you read the book of Romans, I think it's in chapter 9, 
Paul's heart for his own brothers and sisters, his Jewish people, which he was one, his heart breaks for them. So he is not speaking as a man who's delighting in the wrath of God. He's speaking as a man whose heart breaks. And so every city he went to, after he wrote these words, Paul would always go first to his Gentile brothers and sisters and share the faith, his faith in Jesus with them. And as he did so, he, he, he would go and he would share with them until they would not listen anymore. And then he would go to the Gentiles. And so Paul had a heart that, that isn't rejoicing in this, but it's simply a heart that, that loved his Jewish brothers and sisters. In the book of Romans, I think it's chapter nine, he, he even says, oh, with a broken heart, that, that if I could be condemned, if God would send me to hell and save them, I would let him do it because he loved them so much. And so this is a heart of love just simply describing what is, that every time we go and we preach the gospel, there are people who get in the way of that. There are people who, through their actions, their words, their, their just hatred of Jesus, they, they were work hard to stamp that out. And it's, and it's a warning um, that if we should be careful about that too. There's probably a separate sermon there, but, but be careful about kind of put, um, push Jesus aside when other people are, are having opportunity to hear him. But what's he doing? What's he doing to these Christians in Thessalonica? What's he trying to, to get to? Why is having Paul influencing them as a spiritual sibling, Paul and Timothy and Silas, why is this, what's he doing here? Here's the first thing I want you to know. Here's why God puts you around spiritual siblings and what we're supposed to be. It's this. That gospel siblings bring encouragement when the way is hard. Here's a group of people who just have a couple of months worth of knowledge of Jesus, who have had their spiritual foundation, their leaders chased out of town. They walk out their front doors every morning not knowing what's going to happen to them. People could harass them verbally. People could physically do things to them. Economically, people could cut off their business ties with them because they are Christians. There are a lot of ramifications to be a Christian in Thessalonica now, and it's hard. And so what does Paul write as a spiritual sibling to say, you know what, I know it's hard. What does he do? He points them to the bigger realities that are going on. You're not alone. God is watching. God is at work. God cares. God's got a plan to handle all this. He just points them to encouraging things to say, I know it's hard now, but you're not alone. You can do this because you're not the first to face this difficult thing. You are not alone. And so he encourages them. And so what does it mean? Why does God put us in churches and, and surround us with brothers and sisters in Christ? And one of the things God wants to do through that, that context is, is he wants to encourage you. And he wants you to encourage others. That we are meant to, hey, don't give up the fight. I know things are scary. I know things are hard. I know there, there's a hard road you're walking right now. But don't give up. Don't give up faith. Don't give up the walking with Jesus. Don't, don't, don't stop living for him just because things have gotten hard. But keep going. Keep going. We can do this together. And that's what Paul is, is trying to draw out of them. Is this the encouragement of saying, hey, I know it's hard, but don't give up. You can do this. Just like other brothers and sisters have, you can do this. And I believe in you. And so gospel siblings bring encouragement when the way is hard is one reason that I think he puts us uh, in communities with brothers and sisters in Christ. And so as we read on the next few verses here, verses 17 and 18, 
Paul gets, he's going to lead to a second and a third thing I want you to see. He goes on to say this, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, it's the idea of, of being separated. It's like a, it's a, that word is, as we used in military circles, that if you were attacking a, a, an army and, and wanted to kind of isolate one group of it, because if you can divide an army, they're, they're weaker than if they are together. And this idea of a military strategy of kind of separating people, that's what this word was, that Paul was torn apart. He was separated from, from these people in Thessalonica for a short time in, in person, but not in heart. My heart is still with you, even though in person I've been taken away from you. We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. In other words, he's trying to strategize, how can we get back to see you? How can I get back to Thessalonica and finish what we were doing there? Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan has hindered us. So he recognizes, man, we keep making these plans and they just are not working out. It is not going uh, our way. We can't get there. And he reminds them, again, this is probably another encouraging thing, uh, verses 19 and 20, for what is our hope and our joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? In other words, when Jesus comes back and we stand before him, what's Paul going to point to and say, that's my life work. Here's my greatest offering to you. Here's the greatest blessing I could give you, Lord. It is these Christian believers in Thessalonica and others like them. That he will not stand before them and say, hey, I wrote 13 books and 2,000 years later, people are still reading my impressive writings. It's not his writing career. It's not his wealth. It's not his status. It's not any of that stuff. It's the people he brought with him that he's going to celebrate before Jesus. And so is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. He goes on in verse chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, in other words, it's killing me not to know how you're doing. When we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens. In other words, I'll stay in Athens by myself. I sent Timothy back to you. We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. That's the idea, again, of building and encouraging, of building up a foundation of, of saying, hey, there's still things that you need to learn, things you need to know, things you need to grow in. So let me build that foundation up and let me encourage you forward, put some wind in your sails to push you in the direction of being more like Christ. And to be established and exhorted in your faith that no one would be moved by these afflictions. In other words, don't let these hard things um, shake you. It goes on to say in verse three, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we would suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about what? He wants to know about their faith. I just wanna know where your faith is at, right? Do you still believe? Are you still walking? Are you still, are these afflictions, these hard things cause you to doubt and to question and, and think about giving up? Or is your faith still alive and growing? Are you still seeking after, after Christ? Uh, I've I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you. And so when we go through hard things, what's the tempter trying to do? He's trying to trip you up and, and to tempt you and to distract you from belief right, that our labor would be in vain. And he finishes with these. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that, all, that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. Is there anything more comforting? There probably is, but there's not many things more comforting than just walking through your life as a Christian and you find somebody else, even though they're going through hard things, who's still just living the life out. They haven't given up. They're faithful to the task. They're just daily walking and seeking after Christ, serving Christ, witnessing for Christ. And man, as a person of faith, there's, there's few things more encouraging 
especially if your life is hard or you got some difficult things going on, to see somebody else who's just keep tracking forward. And that's what Paul says, you encouraged me because I saw your faithful witness and that you still have affection for me, you still love us like we loved you. And then he says in verse eight, for now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord, he's encouraged. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see your face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Next week, we're gonna jump into chapter four and Paul writes to, to kind of help them fill in some of those things that are lacking in their faith. There's gonna be some talk about sexual ethics and, and morality and, and some how do you work hard and what's that look like in your community, even when things are hard and, and, and the people have died in their faith and they're thinking, well, what happens to this person when they die? And so he's gonna to begin to fill in some of those things and some of those gaps for them. But then he finishes with a prayer. This last verses 11 through 13, a simple prayer for them. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. In other words, learn to love each other because what's gonna keep that faith going? It's by learning to love each other at a deeper and better level. Abound in love for one another and for all, even those people that are persecuting you, even those people that are hard to love in your community. May your love for each other and for them continue to grow and, grow and abound just as we love you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. So Paul writes this, if you just go through and underline all the times when he makes a reference to how much he cares about them, I think you get a pretty good picture of why God wants us to be around spiritual siblings. Because we're meant to help each other and love each other and encourage each other. And so two things, just you can fill them in quickly here. Number two, the gospel siblings care about each other's faith. They care about each other's faith. They don't just care about economics and the weather and other things, how's their sports team doing, whatever. Those are fine things. But they care about each other's faith. How's your faith doing? They may ask you. Uh, you still walking with the Lord? Or what are you struggling at? What can I do to help you in your faith? That the gospel siblings, that God puts us around each other because nobody else in the world is gonna care about your faith, right? If someone's not a believer, they're not gonna come up and say, hey, I'm really glad you're a Christian. Keep growing in that. They don't care about that. That's just something that's not in their, on their scope and their radar. And so as a Christian, we are designed to care about each other's faith. So maybe that means we, we are more intentional about how we ask and pray for and, and deal with one another. And there's a third thing I want you to see, that the gospel siblings strengthen the weak parts of our faith. And we all have those. We all have those places where we feel weak, where we're struggling, just like Paul writes these Thessalonians to say, look, I know the circumstances your life are, are, is in right now, and, and you may not understand some things, so let me, let me strengthen your faith by, by sharing some truth. Let me strengthen your faith by letting you be reminded that I still love you, still care about you, still long to be with you. There's this picture of, of, a, of a strengthening of a weak faith that, that is helpful for us. And I would, I would just finish by kind of going back to where we finished in Luke 15. It's that simple heart of the father for the older brother and the prodigal son. It always strikes me that, um, that when you look at the context of that whole chapter, it begins with Jesus looking at the religious leaders and the Pharisees and the Sadducees who, who kept looking down on all these unclean sinners that Jesus kept hanging out with. And they were quick to follow Jesus. They loved to listen to Jesus. They were, they were intrigued by him and drawn to him. But these religious elites were too good 
and unconcerned and didn't have time for them. And when you read those words at the end of Luke 15 about, um, about a father who pleads with the older son, son, this is all yours. You are fine. You are loved and you are cared for. Just come in and enjoy the party. Your brother was lost and he's found and, and he desires for that unity. He desires for that, his brothers, his sons, excuse me, to, to get along, to be well together. And I think as I read Paul's words, I think Paul is living out that heart. He's living out that, man, I've got a heavenly father who, who yes, he has saved me and done wonderful things in my life individually. But boy, what a waste of that love for me to not turn around and to pour that into my other brothers and sisters, my gospel siblings, and, and to pour into them what God has given to me. And so uh, my encouragement today is very simple. It's just um, what kind of gospel sibling are you? I would dare say, I heard somebody say this week, and I was, somebody I was listening to about this, that, that the people that are growing, people, Christians that are growing, people that are growing in their faith, you can almost guarantee that they've got a few gospel siblings around them who are walking with them, encouraging them, listening to them when it hurts, praying for them when it's hard, teaching them, growing them, strengthening, doing those things. There are at least a few gospel siblings around them, and people that probably aren't growing in their faith are probably very isolated from their gospel siblings. Now, again, that's not easy. Uh, we're going to get into some things in the next few weeks here that kind of unpack that. But, but the heart behind that to recognize I need some gospel siblings in my life. And God needs me to be a gospel sibling to somebody else around me that uh, I'm up close and personal with and uh, I'm praying for and I'm encouraging and, and helping. And so may the heart of the father who longs for his children to love each other, to, to encourage each other, to rejoice with each other, even through the times of failures and struggles. May that be the heart that we grow today. Would you pray with me, please?